Hey there, you're listening to Blissful Prospecting. My name is Jason Bay, but you can call me Jay Bay. And in this podcast, I care a lot about helping reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate it when they send a cold email and a prospect doesn't respond or when they go to make a cold call, they don't feel really confident about what they're saying. So I share tactics and strategies to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. Let's get to the interview today. Today we're talking to Bilal Batrawi, someone who's become a good friend over the last couple months. He's been on the podcast before, and something really unique about his experience and why I love picking this guy's brain is that he's been uh, six or seven times on the founding sales team of the companies that he's worked at. So he's always been sort of on the ground level where he's had to figure out a lot of stuff from, from scratch, and there weren't systems in place for him to you know get started with what to say on a call or what to say in an email. And the other part, too, is that he's really knowledgeable about psychology. He's one of the most well-versed people I know on psychology. So he's not only able to talk about what to do, but why it works and how you can make it your own. And that's what we're going to get into today. So we're going to talk about sales psychology, and these are important concepts to master. He's going to talk about three things that are very, very cool. One is why it's important to understand the universal buyer's journey. We're going to talk about why More companies don't invest in psychology and teaching their reps psychology. And he's going to talk about this concept of is, does, means, and he's going to use a lot of different messaging examples so that you can really create a bigger impact with your messaging and really resonate with people versus using this stuffy, we do this, we're the best at this, our product is this, you know, that type of messaging. I'm super excited for you to get to it. One of the things that's really important when you think about psychology is You can start saying some of the things, but what's really more important is paying attention to how the prospect responds. And Bilal is going to share a bunch of those things and a tool that I've started using recently to help me, you know, better keep track of not only what I'm saying and the habits that I'm creating, but also paying more attention to how prospects respond. And the words that they use is called wingman. And I've been using it when I make cold calls and also when I do discovery calls And essentially what it does is it helps notify me of when I might be saying things that I shouldn't say. And it does it real time during the sales call. It's pretty cool. Because one thing I'm really big on is what am I learning, but how am I putting that into practice and creating habits around it? So if you're a rep, um, I would definitely look into this tool. If you're a manager or sales leader, I would definitely look into it for your team. Because again, you can learn all the psychology you want and all the strategies and tactics and all that stuff. But if you don't have a way of creating habits and making those changes in the calls and then getting feedback and getting notification so that you don't have to manually keep track of if you're saying the right things or not, that's going to be a problem. So make sure to check it out. It's at trywingman.com. It's a really good solution. Even if you're an individual rep that wants, you know, recordings and conversational analytics and all that stuff, but more importantly, you want to go a step beyond the recording and you want something that's going to tell you what to do with the data and actually help you create those habit changes you know, with cue cards and, you know, behavioral, you know, sort of changes that you want to make, make sure to check it out. It's at trywingman.com. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Bilal. Let's go to get started. There's more people hopping in here. Hit the poll. Um, as you guys come in, let us know who you are, you know, kind of what your role is that'll help us customize the content a bit. Uh, keep saying hi in the chat. We're going to get started as people are still hopping in here. Uh, but I'm super excited for this talk. Uh, I met Bilal through... 
LinkedIn, I want to say, I was consuming a lot of his content. He was like one of those people that I always like admired from afar in terms of content. And then we finally connected and got him on the podcast. We had a really good conversation. And what really sticks out to me about his experience is like, he has been on the founding uh, sales team of seven startups. So if you've ever worked at a startup before or work at a startup, you know that there's usually like no systems in place. <laughs> you know, when you come in and he's had to really kind of figure out stuff for the first time and has done that several times. And now he uh, advises startups and he's also does some consulting with startups. And really his specialty is like psychology and messaging. And I always enjoy speaking with him because I get, uh, I feel like I get free mentoring, dude. Uh, when we talk. So, dude, I'm super excited to have you on the tour, man. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's my honor, man. I appreciate you inviting me. And one of one of my former uh, colleagues is on this, Corey Blackwell, who who I hired at BioIQ. So he can he can dish the dirt in the chat as I make false claims and be like, bullshit, he never did that. <laughs> well, he said smartest guy I know, man, um, is what he said in the chat. So, dang. Uh, you're off to a good start, dude. I um, mean, just to let you know, you guys, with the Q&A, we definitely want to get to as many questions as we can. So use the Q&A button and Zoom there at the bottom. That'll help us kind of separate the questions from the chat so that we can get to them. I thought a good place to get started, though, would be, dude, like, what got you interested in psychology? Because a lot of people, I mean, there's yeah. people, you've met them that have sold for decades that never, I mean, they don't know nothing about psychology. It's, yeah. it's never trained. It's never something they're interested in and they may not see the connection. I don't really know what it is, but how did you kind of get interested in, in more of the psychology of selling? People think I'm joking when I say this, but like, I'm lazy. Like Corey <laughs> will do it in the chat. I'm lazy. I don't, I don't like doing hard work. I've never been accused of being a hard worker. Okay. <laughs> like, never been accused of that. It's just not, it's not me. And when I look at psychology and I learn these like hacks of like foot and door technique, mm-hmm. I'm like, shit, that's, why am I, why would I not use that? Why wouldn't I not get someone to agree to something small to get them to agree to something big? Yeah. If it's going to increase my success rate, you know, whatever X percent, like, why would I not do that? And so everything I learned in psychology, I was like, well, that just made my job easier. This is, that just made it easier. Now I can win more arguments. Now I can have a better conversation. Now I'm going to waste less time. I'm going to get to the answer that I want fast. Like it was always some, something better was going to come from the outcome. So I was like, well, what, what makes more sense to spend, you know, another 20 minutes trying to figure out the right phone number for this contact or like to read this article about like the top 10 psychology hacks on how to influence others. So like Dr. Cialdini, six influencers. And I'm like, well, it's pretty clear because every time I do one of these things, it works. Um, so I, th- I think that's, I think that's what it really came down to is it's like, I wanted to simplify my, my game. I didn't want to have to grind. Yeah. What was it like? Cause I know you have a story there uh, and I totally resonate with you. And I, by the way, and just a quick comment on that for some reason, I don't know, in, in sales, sometimes there's this mentality of like, if you don't do things the hard way, you're lazy or you're stupid or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's like, dude, just like the path of least resistance is like usually the better route. Um, outside of taking weird shortcuts and things like that, but like not overcomplicating things is usually the better way to go, you know, when it comes to selling. Um, so what was it like? There was a couple of first jobs, if I remember correctly, that you had where you kind of went through the sales training process and they did the usual kind of product, you know, knowledge kind of thing. I know I don't want to steal your thunder here. So <laughs> what was that kind of like at the beginning? Cause I think a lot of people can relate to that experience. Yeah, it was, you know, first day was just like, 
here's, here's, here's our company, here's our values, here's how the product works. There's product dump, right? Yep. Here's how we built it. Here's our founder story. Here's, 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 here's all this stuff. And then they're like, oh, and then here's the phone. And I, what, what came out of my mouth when I got on the phone? Our founders, our product, our this, our that, everything was just the wrong way to speak to somebody who has no clue who you are, yep. has no clue what you do, and has no clue what you sell. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's everything wrong. And it, you know, I was taught the customer is always right. If they ask you something that might be a deal breaker, you should say, let me table that for now and get back to you. I was taught that my first year in sales. Wow. Took me about two and a half years to unlearn that and realize that was bullshit. All these sort of things, just completely and totally wrong. By the way, the sales trainer, good intentioned woman, good intentioned woman, hadn't been in a sales role in well over 20 years. Yeah. Sales trainer at my first job. And um, it was very clear now that I look back at it that she was the completely wrong person to be training us, especially new people like me fresh out of college. I had you know, no idea. Yeah. So yeah, many, many things wrong. And it took years, years of undoing. Yeah. You talk a lot about uh, the curse of knowledge, which is a really interesting principle in psychology around like, because we know so much about the product that actually is bad, right? Where we come in with all this information that we're talking about that we assume the prospect knows about, but they actually don't. Um, a big part of, before we kind of get into the details here, cause I know you have some slides that we're going to show here in a second. Um, a lot of your approach is like thinking about the other person, which sounds very simple in theory, yeah. <laughs> but what do you see in like the work that you've done? How much, how often do you see that the focus is really on what the salesperson or the sales team wants versus the other person? And how do people kind of break that, that, cause it's, a, is it a habit? that people have of that? Is it a skill they need to like, what is it that we need to learn to like actually have, you know, some empathy and be thinking about the other person? So, so the real answer, the, the real, like the death to fluff answer, let me get a little bit preaching <laughs> here for the 170 people on this call. Sorry, but the real answer is sales is messed up. And because sales is messed up, sellers sell in a messed up way. Yeah. Because today sales is all about being coin operated. I mean, we're, we're mercs, we're mercenaries, right? There's no loyalty company. We're, we're any seller is three quarters away from getting fired. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your track record is. You miss, you miss quota for three quarters, fall flat for three quarters. And let me see, let me see how loyal your company is then. Let me see all the company values come flying in. Doesn't happen. Look, look right. what happened in the pandemic. VC backed startups raising tens of millions of dollars while also laying off employees. And in some cases on town hall zoom calls where they're firing a hundred people at a time. Yeah. That's the real, that's the reality. So the commission, the pressure on the quota, the pressure on the KPIs, the pressure on, like you said, your attitude and getting judged on it. Are you lazy? Are you working hard? Are you hitting the ground running? Are you expecting things to come to you? What's your attitude? All those sort of things feed into when you get on that computer and you write that next email. Absolutely affects your psyche. Absolutely yeah. affects your health. And so the, the truth is sales today is designed to cause you mental stress. Is, is it's all about outcomes. It's rewarding the, the destination, not the journey. Right? You, don't, you don't get points for helping your colleague write an email 
based on some competitive intel that you learned that doesn't show up on the quarter board, that doesn't show up on the dashboard in the CRM. You don't get points for that at the end of the month towards your quota. But that, that mentality of helping your colleague write an email because you learned something about a competitor is exponential value to the sales organization versus yeah. you going closing a single deal and not telling anyone what you learned, which is just incremental. But today, sales orgs reward yeah. incremental and completely dismiss the exponential. So that, that's the truth of it. And so when you see it for what it is, and I see some people in the chat, so I'm, I'm thinking I'm not alone on this. Yeah, people are like, dude, totally. <laughs> <laughs> see it for what it is. You've got yeah. two, two, it's simple, two choices. Mm. You play the game the way they want you to play it, or you break the mold and you go a different route. Either way, unfortunately, there's issues, right? Either way, there's issues, but I've always gone that way. I've broken the mold. I've pissed off a lot of managers. I'm a classic job hopper. I have right on my LinkedIn at least two or three stints that were less than a year because mm-hmm. it just didn't work out, but I will never play the game that way. I'm playing the game my way, the way that I know works. And that way is customer centric. It's buyer centric. It's not KPI driven. It's um, tactical empathy in sales, not bullshit. Like, how are you doing? I hope you're well, like real empathy. Like, let me tell you the price up front. Let me tell you about my competitors without you asking. Let me tell you why my product isn't good. Mm -hmm. Let me show you why people have not bought my product, you know, that kind of stuff is real tactical empathy that you do. And when you do that, you automatically break the mold because people don't expect a a seller to do that. That's not what sellers do. Sellers are pushy. They have an agenda. They just want to sell you something. They're not in it for your interest. They're not going to tell you that you're not a right fit for them and you should go to so-and-so and then recommend who you should go see. That's not what sellers do. Yeah. So that, that's my rant. And, and rant. You bring in the fire, man. I love it. Uh, so this concept of breaking the mold and pattern interrupting, I'm going to bookmark that real quick. And we're going to come back to it because you mentioned something around reward systems. And it's been something I've actually been really curious to get your insight on because I think there's a lot of psychology in reward systems. And my wife, Sarah, shared this article with me. It was New York Times or something like that. And what it was about was with kids, the, you know, the sticker system where they do something good, they get a sticker. What, they're, what, yeah, it, what, we're, what they find though, is that that could be good and bad. Because mm. what they run into is there's these kids that will only do things if they have extrinsic motivation. So they'll only do something if they get a sticker, not because it's the right thing to do. And what that made me really think about was reward systems for salespeople and like how you look at your own motivation. And my question is, if I'm a salesperson, I have to make the choice of do I play the game or break the mold? You kind of can't play both sides of that fence. You got to pick one or the other. But one is, like, how do you motivate yourself to break the mold when you're not going to get extrinsically rewarded for that? The company's not going to reward you for that. You might get rewarded in the long term, obviously, if you do it the right way, like your pipeline, and it might feel better. But so I guess the first part of that question, because there's kind of a lot of stuff there, is um, how do you look at it, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation just as the individual over like what gets you out of bed in the day 
in your office, you know, in front of the computer doing things the, the way that you do them for the right reasons? Like, how do you look at the motivation part of it? That's a, that's a great question. And, un- and unfortunately, we, you know, we have a tendency to want to oversimplify answers like this. Mm-hmm. The answer to that question is extremely complicated. And there are many correct answers to it and many wrong answers. And each of them would fit a different person a different way. That's, that's reality. I can answer just from an old, my, a selfish answer for me. I'm driven by a moral compass. I'm, I'm a man of faith. I'm a practicing mm-hmm. Muslim. I never viewed putting my quota or my paycheck above my moral compass. Mm. So when it came to somebody asking me simple questions, like, you know, well, what other options do I have? I was never motivated to lie. I just be like, well, here are our competitors. Like, I just assumed I'd answer the question the same way if I had asked it what they would want to hear. Yeah. And just answer it. And then starting to get into a rhythm of like, why am I even waiting for them to ask? Why don't I just tell them without them even needing to ask? And that rubbed some of the people I work with the wrong way. I mean, I, I, I know founders that were pissed at me that I would take from the deck that they use to raise money with their VCs, the competitive landscape side, and put it in my proposal deck. Yeah. I'm like, but if an investor needs to hear that, why wouldn't a buyer? Why wouldn't somebody who's shopping need to hear that too? Clearly, it's valuable. What's the difference? Yeah. They both need to know to make a decision, but, but that would piss them off. I'm like, that's hypocritical. That's hypocritical in my opinion. They should know that. So, I mean, and, and that's the thing, right? So again, I have short stints. I paid the price. And today my critics label me a job hopper. They tell me, why don't you stay at somewhere more than three years before you open up your big mouth and post something on LinkedIn. And to them, I go, you don't know, you don't know the story, you don't know. And I'm not going to let your judgment affect me or what I know I'm good at and my superpowers. Because I know who I am. So I th- that's just, and that answer works for me. And there's a whole host of people that be like, that's not going to work for me, Bidad. And I totally understand that. And I would never judge anybody who plays the game. Some of my best friends from sales play the game. I don't judge yeah. them for it. I'm like, they might need to do that. That's okay. But it's not what's yeah. going to work. Dude, I love that. I think that's cool. It kind of, uh, it's kind of like that don't hate the player, hit the game kind of thing. And that could have some negative connotations, hopefully. Uh, no one takes it that way. Um, but it's kind of like, hey, if there's someone else that does decide to play the game for their own reasons, because that's what they feel comfortable with and they can't afford to lose a job or whatever it might be, like, we're not going to judge those people, you know? But to me, what it sounds like for you is you're extremely intrinsically motivated. Like your motivation comes from doing the right thing. Whatever you feel that right thing is by the customer and having integrity, that's the thing that gets you up out of bed in the morning. Like that's the reason why you do what you do. And I was just curious because I think that a lot of the way that salespeople are rewarded, it's a lot of extrinsic motivation. It's we'll, we'll give you more commission. Uh, We'll dangle a promotion in front of you. Extrinsic. It's exclusively extrinsic. Yeah. There's nothing about like, Hey, doesn't it feel good to serve a customer? Well, yeah, you're getting paid. Like, doesn't that feel really good to do the right thing by the customer? No, reward. you shouldn't need to be financially rewarded to have integrity. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, like Mark Roberge, Mark Roberge is championing a new book that he's going to release. Uh-huh. It's going to be an ebook where he talks about how at HubSpot, they used to reward their sellers based on the LTV, right? The lifetime value yeah. of the, of, of the, 
of the deals that they close because they found that they had great sellers that would sell these shitty deals that would turn over after six months. And they thought it was a customer support and customer success issue. And then when they started um, adding the attribution of who sold the deal, they realized, wait a second, there's a handful of sellers that just sell shitty deals. And, and, and it's like revolutionary, right? Like what he's talking about is like rocket science. It's blowing the minds of like entrepreneurs and VCs all around. And to us salespeople, it's like, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) I know colleagues that have done shitty deals the entire time I've been in sale. I could have told you 10 years ago as an SDR. Like, No, we do. (laughs) What you're doing is paying me for closing the deal. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm just going to get the deal closed. I don't care what happens afterwards. I don't care yeah. if I lied to them. I don't care if I told them the wrong thing. I don't care if you can't deliver. If, if, the, if the contract or my quota or my plan doesn't have a clawback agreement, you're screwed because I'm yeah. a rap and I'm testing the fences like in Jurassic Park to see how I can break in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you, you told me the day I started that I'm coin operated. You told me the day I started that half my worth to this company is based on what I sell. So like, yeah. that's the deal we made. Yeah. Oh, dude. I love it, man. I, I want to make sure we have time to kind of go into some of the stuff that you wanted to teach us today. So do you want me to share the slides? Yeah, let's let's do some slides. Yeah, let me share the slide here. Make sure my screen is all set up. Okay, let's do this. So as Jason brings this up, just context for the people on the on the call right now. So I, I've been I've been in sales for over 10 years. I've done six sales trainings, like Challenger, Corporate Visions, um, Winning by Design, uh, MJ Hoffman's, your sales MBA. Just over the years, I got Sandler. So I've done a bunch of different trainings. I don't remember all of them. And um, none of them taught me what I'm about to show you. All six sales trainings (laughs) failed to teach me these three simple concepts that dynamically changed my ability to sell. And I just figure like you all deserve to hear what I should have been taught 10 years ago. Cause had I been told that I would be, I don't know where I'd be right now, but like maybe on a beach or something, or maybe I wouldn't be here right now. Like I would have made a lot more money than I did for sure. And this isn't the only things that like matter, but these are just like three really simple concepts that like, again, death to fluff kind of mentality, things that hopefully the second this webinar ends, you'll go back to your desk, you'll go to your next demo, you'll go to your next email, and you'll remember these three things and you'll be able to make a small change that will have hopefully exponential impact on the results that you're going to get. So that's kind of the context to it. Um, that being said, to our, to our original poll, Jason, what were the results? Just so I know before I jump into this, because I might tweak how I talk about it. Yeah, let me share it. Yeah, so it looks like two-thirds of the people are doing both okay, activities. Cool. cool. Very awesome. Um, so here, here's where I'll start, okay? Whether it's a stick of gum, a house, a piece of software, whatever it is, we all go through the same stages when we buy something. So whether you're an enterprise seller, an SDR, an AE, you do low ticket velocity sales, you do high end, you know, a couple deals a year, enterprise, doesn't matter. These five stages hold true because they are the universal buyer's journey. So jump to the first one there, Jason. 
So unaware, okay, unaware is like your leads in a CRM, right? Like if I go buy a lead of a list of leads from whatever vendor and I put them into my CRM, that's all they are. They're just cold ice, nothing. And they're completely unaware that I even exist. And then the next one is aware. So this is like, um, we're all aware of Salesforce, right? Doesn't mean we, we want to use it or we would buy it. But like awareness is just like, yeah, I've heard of that. I get the idea of it, right? Like if I'm going to go buy a stick of gum, I know there's something called peppermint, right? It might not be the thing I buy, but I'm at least aware of it, that it exists. The next one is consideration. Now, this is where everybody gets tripped up. Consideration is simply when I'm looking at something. I have not shown any intent to buy. Go with, you know, your significant other to the mall. And if you're looking, you sometimes walk into a store just to see what they got. You have no intention to buy. Just checking it out. You're literally window shopping. This is a huge mistake that sellers make because they think people who are considering are buyers. They're not buyers. So the three stages that I just showed you, unaware, aware, and consideration. We Let's be really clear. Those are all prospects. Don't mix up the word prospect and buyer. They're two very different things. You're a prospect if you're an unaware, aware consideration. You've shown no intent to buy because the truth that those six sales trainings failed to teach me is I can do everything I'm supposed to do as a seller, but if the person on the other side of the phone, the other side of the screen, the other side of the demo does not have intent to buy, nothing I do will matter. I can influence but I, I can't reach through the phone and make them get their budget and credit card out. I can't reach through an email and tell them to go mobilize all the people internally they need to be met with so that they can actually buy a thing. They have to do it themselves, right? So on, no matter what you're selling at some level, the other person has to come in on their end. And there's a couple things there. So we'll, let's finish this off. So we got consideration. The next stage is evaluation. Now that's a buyer, somebody who's evaluating a product right? They've thought about budget. They might not have it set in stone, but they've at least thought about, well, how much money can I really spend? They've thought about critical event. When do I want this by? We have a major project that's going to end, uh, you know, end at the end of the quarter. So we're going we're gonna to need something by then. Or our current vendor agreement expires in the first of the year. So we're definitely going to need something before then. They've thought about some sort of critical event. And then the other thing is they have an idea of the impact of what they're going to buy is going to be on the business, good and bad, right? Well, it's change. So if we change something, that means some people are going to get pissed off and not like it. Some people are going to love it. And I already know who the people are going to love it are because the last time we changed something, they were the first ones to get on it. And I already know who the haters are going to be because, I mean, whatever we do, they're the last ones to get on it, right? Like that kind of stuff. That's a buyer because they're showing intent. They're doing their side of the agreement. So they're evaluating. And then the final thing is decision, right? They actually make a choice. They looked at their options. They narrowed it down to the final one, two, three choices, and then they make a choice. So people who are in evaluation and decision are actual buyers. Everybody else is just a prospect. That dictates how you treat them, right? Don't believe the bullshit where it's like everybody gets treated with empathy and love. And yeah, okay, true. But like, your focus of time should be predominantly on buyers, not prospects. Prospects is where you can automate, you can do things at scale. Buyers is where you're intimate 
and you're going to establish a relationship and rapport, and you're really going to pour your heart into what you're doing with them. So that, that's a really key thing. So that's a universal buyer's journey. And the reality is most of your um, CRMs and the stages that you have in there and all that sort of stuff, the things that you've been, again, like Pavlovian dog beat over the head with as a seller, do not reflect these five stages. Let me give you an example. A lot of a lot of CRMs, and you've probably seen this, Jason, with your experience consulting with so many companies, they have a stage in there for like demo. Yep. And it's like, well, wait a second. I can demo somebody who's unaware of my product to take them to consideration. That doesn't mean they're a buyer. Mm-hmm. Or I could be demoing somebody who's actually evaluating my product right now. Right? They're two very different demos. One I know is like just window shopping and, and like even told me they don't have a budget. They're just thinking about it. And the other one is like literally saying like, we need to make a decision at the end of the quarter because we have this critical event that's driving a business need. And in both of those, you would mark them as stage demo in your CRM, but they're not the same. One's a prospect and one's a buyer. It's very clear. So you, you're not challenged as a seller to use this language to describe your pipeline, but this is how you need to think. This is what's going to level up your game when you look at somebody, and this is going to dictate how you message them. Because everything that I was taught, going back to the original point, Jason, and what you said, I was taught you know, using unique selling props, you know, unique value propositions to sell yeah. ROI, which Devin Reed uh, at Gong just released a really interesting thing earlier this week. And anybody who's followed my content on LinkedIn would have been like, no, duh, but it was revolutionary. He said, using ROI in percentage claims, you know, like we can increase your efficiency by this or that, whatever, decreases your likelihood to set a meeting by over 15%. Why? And I messaged Devin afterwards. I'm like, your explanation of why was terrible. Let me, let me tell you why. Because people who need to hear things like ROI, unique value propositions, differentiation, all that sort of stuff, all of those fall into a very simple camp. Those are logical arguments. It's based on math. It's based on reasoning. It's based on logic. That stuff works great if I've already decided that I'm evaluating and going to make a decision on something. Then I need facts and figures to justify my decision. But when I'm a prospect in the stages of unaware, aware, and consideration, I don't need, I don't need hard logic. I need emotion. I need emotional curiosity, anxiety, pain, some sort of emotion, fear, some sort of emotional drive that's going to get me to be willing to make a change from whatever the status quo is. And that's why most sellers, no matter what industry it is, no matter what vertical, no matter what they sell, most sellers deals, the number one lost reason, status quo, no decision. Pretty powerful stuff with Bilal so far. I hope you're enjoying it. One of the things that I talked about earlier was the importance of creating habits. And one of the ways that a lot of people are doing that is recording their calls. And the only problem with that is it can take a long time to listen to a recorded call. I don't know if you do that, but listening to a half hour sales call or a 45 minute demo or 60 minute demo can literally take hours out of your week, especially if you're a manager and you're coaching your reps. You don't really have the time to listen to every single call. And one of the things that I've been using 
is a tool called Wingman to help when I'm coaching our clients and coaching reps that we work with. And it helps me pull out those coachable moments, those winning moments that either go well or the moments that don't go well and don't lead to the sale or don't lead to them getting the meeting. And it allows me to kind of pull this up using some artificial intelligence and machine learning so that I don't have to physically listen to the call to find out where those moments are. I can pick the you know 30 second, 60 second snippets and I can gather a bunch of those, you know, a dozen of those and bring those into a meeting and share it uh, with the teams that I'm working with. So if that's something you're thinking about, you know, listening to this interview and you're thinking about, well, how can I scale what, you know, Bilal is talking about and not spend hours listening to calls to make sure that people are doing it correctly, Wingman's a way that you can do that. So check it out at trywingman.com. Let's get back to the interview. Yeah, it's something like probably 80% of the deals that don't get uh, that aren't won by that company, they rarely hire the competitor or go with the competitive competing product. Um, dude, this is, uh, we talked about this on the podcast and it's like, it's, it's kind of cool seeing it in a more visual uh, way, but I got one thing I want to ask you about here, just to kind of clarify for, for all of us, the buyer's journey is, it isn't necessarily like a linear kind of thing for a company when you have multiple people involved decision maker wise Forrester came out with a big thing a couple of years ago about it too. It was like, like a circle, you know, kind of thing. It kind of hit all these concepts, but it like people can kind of bounce back and forth between stages. Right. And there might be two people at one stage at a company you're working, but the, another person might not be in that same stage. Do you have any commentary on that? Well, the simple answer, and hopefully not to oversimplify, because the question is really, really good, Jason, is that everybody is going through these five stages. So like, you, you know, the person who came in inbound for that big enterprise deal is going through unaware, aware and consideration. Then they have to go back and tell everybody else internally, but then yeah. have to go through aware, aware and consideration, right? <laughs> yeah. They're going to have to go tell the CFO, but then it's going to be like, well, what the hell is this thing? It's like, we've been working on it for three months, man. Unaware, yeah. aware. <laughs> and you're right. And you can fall out because I yeah. might be like, you know what? I'm seriously evaluating it. Shit hits the fan. You know, my cat, my favorite cat dies. Um, some, you know, something happens personal or professional and all mm-hmm. of a sudden I'm like, you know what, we're not doing the same more. I'm willing to consider it, but I'm, we're not seriously evaluating at this time. A pandemic happened. You know, I work at Delta. Sorry. <laughs> our, our planes are grounded. We don't have money. We're not buying shit. So it was really cool, but we're no longer evaluating this, we'll, but I will consider it in the future. Right, so, so, yeah. so when we're prospecting then, <sighs> I hate to use the word assumptions because you know the old saying with assumptions, but if we could make an assumption about a prospect, is it safe for us to assume when we're prospecting that people are probably in the unaware stage? The significant Um, vast majority. The significant vast majority. And that's why saying things like, um, you know, just the kind of generic email, hi, Jason, hope you're doing well. I did some research on you, wanted to introduce you to my company. We're the number one, blah, 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 blah. We have clients like XYZ123. None of that works. That's just ignore, delete, unsubscribe, bullshit. Even though the majority of prospecting emails sound exactly what I just said, because they're talking to somebody as if they were evaluating their product. They're not, they don't even know you exist. The right email, right? Again, if we use the psychology, the fear of missing out is twice as powerful as the potential of gain. That's prospect. Mm -hmm. They won a Nobel uh, prize for that in economics uh, a few years back for that discovery. The right email is like this. 
Jason, you know what sucks? When you have to waste another afternoon on a Friday deadline crunch because somebody made a mistake in the paper trail. How annoying is that? We think if you can bank online and you can buy a car online, that you should be able to do your invoices online. Call me crazy. What do you think? Yeah. Now that is a prospecting email is going to catch someone's attention. They're like, well, yeah. shit, that was all about me. It, he hit the nail on the head and he's right. What the hell? I mean, you can literally buy a car online. Why can't I do this invoice online? Yeah. So it's like you're accomplishing a couple different things. If we kind of step back and look at uh, the buyer's journey when it comes to prospecting, we're really just trying to take the prospect from here to here. Yeah. That's all we're trying to do is just get on the radar. Uh, part of this too. Um, hey, let me just look at the time, make sure that we have, okay, <laughs> we got some time. Um, with problem-centric uh, selling and problem-centric prospecting, what's your take on talking about problems versus aspirations versus doing like a combination of the two? Because, and the reason why I asked that is essentially what I'm getting from you and sort of in my observations is that people have a current state, they have a desired future state and an undesired future state. And really what you're helping them do at the end of the day when you're selling something is avoid that undesired future state and get towards that desired future state. Let me know if you feel differently about that no, also, because no. I'm making an assumption there. Um, so there's like this combination of pain and gain. Uh, Mark's kind of saying it in the chat here. Are you working kind of both of those angles at the same time? Do you focus on problem uh, more than, than gain? Like, how do you think about that when you're trying to get someone from unaware to aware? Take, take gain, you know, and just kill it. Bury it in yeah. the dirt. Gain comes in at consideration and evaluation. Let's, let's, map, the, let's map the stages, okay? Let's yeah. map the stages. Unaware to aware is like, Jason, you've never heard of me before, but guess what? I know something about you that you didn't think I knew. I know you hate whatever. I know this sucks. I know yeah. being a CFO at a construction company of more than 5,000 people, because that's literally all I ever deal with. I know your number one pain. It's this. And yeah. I think it's bullshit that you have to deal with that. And I think you think it's bullshit too. That's my assumption. And there's going to be a group of people who say yes. There's going to be a group of people who say no. Fantastic. The ones who say no, you just saved yourself an entire sales cycle trying yeah. to pitch them. And you are going to end up in no decision, status quo, no decision anyways. And the ones who say yes, now you've got buy-in. You've got the first mini contract agreement that they agree that something you're talking about does suck. I'll give you an example of what this looks like. At Full Story, I was the first sales hire. We were a session replay tool. So we let SaaS companies and e-commerce companies be able to watch people on their website doing the actions that they do. How do you sell that? So Full Story had this whole pitch how great, you know, you great UI wins the day, bad UX sucks, blah, 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 blah. You tune it out. It was just super easy to turn out. So this is how I pitched it. I used to say to people, um, have you ever been on a website where the UI sucks so bad you start slamming your mouse in frustration? You start like literally raging out on your mouse. Everyone's like, yeah. I'm like, we call that a rage click. All, <laughs> all we do is let you see when people are rage clicking on your <laughs> I love that, dude. <laughs> and then I'd be like, I'd be like, do you think you should be able to do that today? And they were like, yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool to see people raging on my website. I'm like, cool. Let me show you how it works. That's my yeah. picture. Literally, 10 seconds. 
I just took you from unaware to aware. Didn't tell you about anything my product does per se, really. I just got an emotional connection with you. I just tapped into a pain that you felt before. Yeah, I've been on a shitty website where I slammed my mouse in frustration. Cool. Can you imagine people doing that on your product? Oh, that would suck. Cool. Yeah. Well, you want to go see how you can make sure that's not happening? Yeah, I do. I didn't tell you a single feature. I didn't tell you how it works. I didn't tell you actually even what it is. And I just took you from unaware to aware. And then I'm going to judge if you're really willing to consider my product or not by asking you some questions. Where are you now? What kind of team do you have? I'm going to start qualifying you. And then you're going to show me if you're serious. Once I've qualified you, now I'm putting you in consideration. Then you're going to show me you're serious by talking about budget, by telling me you have a critical event, by telling me you have how you're going to define a decision, right? I'm going to put the onus on you. Because if you're not willing to do that, you sit in consideration and you, you're second class. I mean, no offense, but like, I got to deal with buyers. I'm not dealing with prospects. I want people who have intent, who really want to do this, who are willing to change. Yeah, this is, uh, dude, I freaking love this, man. That's so funny, the rage clicks. Uh, so one of the things I'm picking up that you're doing too, and I know you're going to talk about this a little later, uh, as well as like Hero's Journey. And like, you're kind of picking a, a common enemy. Like when you talk about a problem, you're not saying you have this problem. You're saying, if you're like most of the people I talk to, you probably hate when this thing happens over here. This thing that happens that you just can't stand. Um, Donald Miller, Story Brown calls it like a, a villain, like like picking the villain, you know, in the hero's mm-hmm. journey. Is that, am I uh, understanding yeah, where you're going Primer with that? Yep. Too. David Primer in his book yep. talks about it. This is not a new concept. It's been done before. But it's just been not mainstream for some reason. This is not how yeah. we sell stream, unfortunately. And again, the six sales trainings I took didn't bother to tell me this. But yeah, yeah you pick a common enemy. It, it, it doesn't have to be an enemy. It could be like another example was uh, at Trinet when we sold HR benefits, we used to tell people, you know, your benefits costs go up every year um, eight, to tw- eight to 12% on average, a 10% increase year over year. How do you deal with that? It, it, like this, this is a problem that this is a riddle that has no answer, but it mm-hmm. must suck for you. It must suck to have your second highest cost increase double digits year over year. I mean, that's insane. Within three years, you're paying an absurd amount more than you were for the same thing. It's not getting, it's not like it's getting better year over year. You're just yeah. paying more for the same thing. That sucks. So, so yeah, we, we pick either. It could be a, it could be a problem that doesn't have an answer, but is somewhat related to your product. It could be something you know is terrible. I mean, think infomercial. I, I like David Primer's example of that. He actually mm-hmm. has a YouTube video about why infomercials work, like the psychology behind it. We don't have the time to get into it, but that stuff works. You know, if, if you see yourself in that infomercial and if yeah. you don't, you, you click to the next channel, which is okay. The infomercial doesn't mind because you're, you're not a buyer. You are just a prospect. You're somebody who could use the product, but you're not going to. And that's totally okay. Yeah. I love that you're, it's, I call this stuff like stacking, like you, know, you can ask questions in this way too, where I call that question stacking. You're kind of stacking education into the question and you're talking about a problem and you're empathizing with them like all at the same time. And it's dude, 100% emotion. You're using words like suck. That must be frustrating. And like, what I think about is if you were at a happy hour with this person afterwards, the stuff you're saying right now is like stuff that they would vent about at the end of the day and be like, did you know what really sucked today? So I had to go do this and this. And my boss asked me why the rates keep increasing. I didn't really have a good answer. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. um, yeah totally. dude, I love that. 
That's what um, you got to tap into. It's sort of like, like I, I, it's great if my wife came in and told me right now, Hey, we saved some money. Like the Geico ad, like, Oh, we saved 15% by switching to Geico. I'm like, Oh, cool. But if she came and told me, be like, we're wasting 15% of our money right now by being at state farm. I'd be like, what? Yeah. Screw those guys. Call up Geico, call up farmers, call up all the other ones. Let's, let's stop overpaying. Right. Like I hate wasting. So it's like, tap into that tap into that frustration mm-hmm. people hate being stuck in traffic yeah it's it's nice when the road is open but we'll piss and complain all day about how we were stuck in traffic right you don't yeah. go and tell everyone hey man i got here so quick there was no traffic You're like yeah i got here quick but if you were stuck in traffic like it was literally bumper to bumper you wouldn't believe it like there was an old man walking on the sidewalk that was faster than us yeah you know? <laughs> Um, got a quick question for you before we move on that Alex Delgado asked that I think is relevant here. How do you deal with people who try to close the door on you early in your outreach because they know if they stick around, they will end up buying from you? So maybe someone that's like, hey, if I get a sales conversation started with that, that that's more of a commitment maybe than as a prospect I want to commit to right now because that could end up bringing us into a process where we need to spend money and we need to talk to people. I need to do a bunch of work to loop everyone in. Like, how do you Kind of think about that. I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. I mean, would you want to feel that way too? I think that's, I think that's a very fair, I think you, you know, kind of Chris Voss accusation audit. I think you actually just lead with that. Like, you know, it's the worst thing that can happen right now. You start realizing that you're going to go down a sales cycle, have to do a bunch of work yourself, blah, 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 and end up buying something that you didn't really think you were going to buy. They're like not having that control. So what do you want to do about it? How do you stop that and see what they say? Because yeah. if, if they, if they say, you know, yeah, you're right. I, and that's like my biggest fear. And I just, I don't want any of that right now. But cool. You know what? I'm, you know, there's a lot of fish in the sea. I mean, no offense. Like you're just one of many conversations we're going to have this week. So I totally understand if, if it's not something, a priority for you, you have my contact info. So just when you're ready, come back. Or you know, they're like, well, you're right, but like, we need this thing or yeah, but that's everything we ever have to do. And it's like, okay, well, unfortunately I can't make that go away, but I can work with you to lessen it as much as possible. Like by doing this, that I can give you pricing up front. I can make it really easy for you to buy. I could tell you about our competitors now. So you already have something to talk about when people ask you, like we can just deal with that now. So you feel a little bit more comfortable. But like, let people opt out. I mean, again, why would you want to sell somebody that's not going to buy? <laughs> like, no. avoid it at all costs. Like, don't sell to prospects. Sell to buyers. People in those first three stages are not buyers. They haven't they haven't done their end of the deal yet. So don't bother. You, you know, just keep it light. Love it. Did so much gold in there. There you go, Alex. You want to get to the next one? Make sure we have time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep going. Um, so, so this is like, okay, so how do I do the math? Okay, great. Bilal. I get the buyer's journey. Cool. But now I got to go write a cold email and none of that shit helps me write a cold email. So how am I supposed to write the cold email? I got you. I got you. I hear you. All right. So is does means, right? This is a very simple triangle is what, what is your product? It's a, it's a paperless solution. Cool. That doesn't help me. What does it do? Well, it helps you save time and money. It's efficient. Great, but like, don't care. What does it mean? What does it mean to have your product? Well, this is what it means. Jason, you know that feeling 
when you're like totally under stress because there's this big crunch going on, there's like a deadline looming and somebody else made a mistake, but guess what? It's not your fault, but it's your problem to deal with. You got to go in and fix it. Why? I mean, why should you have to do that? I, I think your time is better spent somewhere else. Do you, do you disagree? That's what it means. And there's going to be a group of people who say, yeah, and there's going to be people who say no. And the pe- again, the people who say no, it's like, cool, no issues. I-, I have nothing to show you. Sorry. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day. And people say, yeah, I'd be like, cool. I got something real cool to show you. You might want to see this because you're not alone. So you-, you cause a fork in the road. And the reality is B2C brands crush this. B2B brands suck at this, which is pretty yeah. weird because it's the same selling motion. And I'll give you two examples right now. So go to the next slide, Jason. We'll like make this really concrete. So look at this. All right. Tylenol. These guys are classic, right? What is Tylenol? It actually says on there, I bet you, I bet you almost no one in this group, 125 people, not a single person probably knows what Tylenol actually is. It's esophetamine. That's what it is. It's on there, but you could give, you could care less what's in it. (laughs) Like we don't care. What does it do? Well, it helps you with fever and pain and a headache. Well, what does it mean? What, what's the ad on there, right? Like the ad's like a little baby and a mom, you know, the ad for Tylenol, if you ever seen one on TV, it'd be like a mother and she's got a pounding headache and she's rubbing her temple. She pops a Tylenol. All of a sudden, like the color comes back to the screen that like black and white filter gets removed and she's outside in the backyard playing with her kids. That's what it means to take a Tylenol. It's the difference between an afternoon wasted sitting on the couch with a headache and being outside having a fun family moment. That's is, does, means. Same thing with Snickers. Let's do Snickers. What is Snickers? It's a chocolate bar. Is that what they tell you? Go to, go to Snickers.com. They don't tell you we're a chocolate bar. <laughs> what does it do? It fills you up. It's like one of the like fatty delights chocolate bars, right? It's peanut butter and nougat and cream and all this stuff. It's one of the worst chocolate bars you can have. What are their ads? Are their ads telling you how delicious Snickers is? No, their ad is you're not you when you're hungry. It's a group of friends standing together and one of them is being a whiny little punk and then the other one hands them a Snickers bar and they say, you're not you when you're hungry because when you need a quick meal and you're in a whiny mood because you're hungry, grab a Snickers. And what is their slogan? Snickers satisfies right brilliant like brilliant marketing go to a b2b website today and all, they're literally advertising acetaminophen and chocolate bar they're wow. not talking about what it means to use their product they're talking about what it is and what it does most sellers sell on is and does levels not what it means so th- this is a huge mistake Things like ROI, again, unique value propositions, all this sort of stuff, those are logical arguments. They're for later. They're for when you have a buyer. But when you're prospecting, you need to be emotional. You need to connect on emotion. The limbic brain, the stem, they call it the croc brain. You need to activate that. That's how decisions are made. When that becomes activated, then the neocortex gets activated, and then we want to hear logic to support our emotional decision. So when I'm hungry and I can't get a, something to eat, I think Snickers. When I have a headache, I think Tylenol because they've made that emotional connection with me 
and when they describe what their product means to me to use. You have to do the same thing as a B2B seller. What does it mean to not have your solution, to not have your paperless solution, your SaaS product, your widget, your whatever? What is it costing me? What's the status quo? Is it me lying on the couch, missing a family moment? Is it me being a, with a bunch of friends and being a whiny punk because I'm hungry and I didn't grab lunch? What's it costing me? What's it doing? What's the effect of it? If you hit that message on the head, you'll see people respond immediately. And those people are going to be buyers because they're willing to evaluate your product. They're showing you uh, an emotional connection to what you're selling. How do you love this man, by the way, um, how do you talk about is does means for, let's say an executive VPC level at a really large company that's not necessarily using the product. Um, so like the, the problems that they have are, are very different um, than someone that is like a champion, you know, manager that like we're using sales engagement, you know, as an example, like the reason why a VP of sales buys that is like, it means a lot different things to them than like the sales development manager. How do you think about the more C-level, the above the line, as Skip Miller would call it, uh, personas, those VPs, those C-levels that might not be using the product or service directly and are thinking a little bit more strategic, a little bigger picture? How do you think about the means part in those situations? I'm going to be a heretic for a moment here and and say something controversial. Um, I don't believe in selling different for a frontline user to an executive with the way that I sell because they put on their pants every day the same way I do. They get hungry the same way I do. And if they're not a psychopath, their brain works the same way mine does. And I'm always making forks in the road. And I'm talking about winners and losers, like Andy Raskin style messaging, winners and losers, right? You're a loser if you're not eating that Snickers bar, because then you're just the whiny punk and all your friends want you to go eat something and shut up. You're a loser if you don't take that Tylenol pill because then you're sitting on the couch while everybody else is having fun outside. People are already conditioned to that. I'm not conditioning them. I'm not introducing something new. We're already conditioned as human beings to that. So I want to work with what they're already conditioned to. An executive understands winners and losers and the concept of that just as much as a frontline employee does. So if I'm selling a sales engagement platform, I'm going to say, you're going to lose if you don't use this. Because the reality is there are sellers right now that can send a thousand emails a day with a blink of an eye. And your salespeople couldn't do that in, a, in an entire week's time. Which camp are you going to be in? Because I think the people that do this are going to win if they do it the right way. And I think you're going to lose if you don't. You're at risk. You're standing on thin ice. Watch it. If you go to Andy Raskin's medium where he writes his articles, he's got the greatest sales deck ever. It's a Zora sales deck. And they talk about the subscription economy. And one of their most powerful slides in that deck is they show how many Fortune 500 companies have gone bankrupt or failed over the last, I think it was like 10 or 20 years. And it's more than 80% of the Fortune 500 is now no longer in that. And they're talking about winners and losers. doesn't matter if you're a frontline employee or you're an executive. You get that. You get that because you put your pants on the same way I do every day. You're not special. So I think if you hit the messaging right and you're making emotional pleas to the limbic brain, it doesn't matter if it's an executive or a frontline employee because they're conditioned to understand that. 
And then, so the problem you might focus on would be different then. Uh, it would be a problem, but it's the same, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, like I gotcha. said earlier, you can bank online, you can buy a car online. Why can't you do invoices online? I think it's silly that you can't. Whether yeah. that's executive or a frontline employee, whether you're the one doing the paper, paper invoicing or you're the CFO who's four levels above that person who does the paperless invoicing, you get that argument. Yeah. Because I'm talking about why are you doing something backwards? Are you that kind of person? Are you the backwards person? Because if you are, that's fine. Good luck. But I believe that if you can buy a car online, you can get these invoices online. Call me crazy. What camp are you in? Tell me now. I'm making you choose. I'm making an emotional connection, fight or flight. You in or you out? And that's okay. Because if they're out, again, it's not an issue. I just saved myself an entire sales process that was probably going to end up in status quo, no decision anyways. Um, okay. So we got five. Love that, dude. We got five minutes. Would you prefer that we get to maybe a couple questions or do you want to get to your last slide? No, because we'll, there's no way we can cover the last slide in five minutes. So let's do questions. Okay. Let me stop sharing here. Okay. So there's a really good question. Okay, Chris Dunn, because you talked about this, I think this is a brilliant concept, this transparency. Um, what is the typical response when you talk about your competitors? For the most part, breaking their pattern of expectations is usually a good thing. So what do people usually say when you say, I'll, I'll do all the work for you. Here's who we compete against. <laughs> it's complete silence. Well, and you know what I do, by the way, to answer that question even more thoroughly? I tell them things that they will never find looking at G2, that they'll never find Google searching, that they'll never find on my company page or the competitor's company page. Mm -hmm. I tell them the real shit. Yeah. Like I'm fair. I'm 100% balanced. I, I, I've got an example of a competitor slide that I used that full story again, the same one that my founder used to raise funding from VCs. And in it, I'm like, that company has over, I think it was like 30x the amount of integrations we do. It is insane what you can do with that thing. And what comes with that is you better know how to use it because they're going to make you pay for it. That's their style. So if you need enterprise grade solutions, that's the enterprise one. We just don't believe that. We believe there's a middle ground that you don't need all of that. And additionally, you won't have to pay for all of that. Mm -hmm. That's not, it wasn't on there, you know, that you can't look that on a G2 review. That's somebody who's in the game would know that. So yeah. I used to tell them the stuff that they couldn't find and they loved it because the trust that I got from them by telling them that I was changing the social paradigm from buyer seller, which is one of conflict to one of advisor or teacher and student, Yeah, which was way, there's no conflict in a teacher and student. That's a relationship of trust, but I had to make the social bit. I had to take the first step. Yeah. <laughs> the comments are so funny, dude. <laughs> Thomas, this guy's a badass. He definitely is a badass. You're getting tons of good, good feedback, man. Um, what we're going to have to do is we'll have to do another webinar here in like a month <laughs> or two and get you on, dude. And um, here, what I want to do, we can get to one more question here. I just dropped uh, Bilal's uh, LinkedIn profile in there. You guys, he posts content every day on this stuff. Let's blow up his LinkedIn, right? Go, go blow up his LinkedIn, connect with him. Include something personal. Let them know where you found him. Uh, go check out his stuff. But um, maybe one more quick question. Sure. Um, okay, where did it go? Oh, okay. So this person's name is T. Uh, is sharing the price upfront 
competitors without asking and what my product doesn't do well, is that something I do after a conversation has started? Is that like, like what part of the buyer's journey are you in when you typically bring stuff like that up? Yeah. When they're in like aware, after aware, when they're in consideration. So like I reach out to you, we set a meeting, we've got an initial call. And so now you've expressed that you're willing to consider my product, right? Because I, I emailed you, you responded back. We had some emails back and forth and we set up a time to speak. So now you're in consideration. You went from unaware to aware to willing to consider my product, but you're not evaluating yet. You've not shown me that you have that intent, right, Jason? So now I'm going to yeah. go into the call and be like, well, look, here's the deal, Jason. Here, here, here's, here's, here's where our product is not so good. This is, this is what we focus on. So we're not the solution to this. Just let me be clear. Let me get, let me get you the right placement. So you know where we're coming from. And secondly, guess what? We're not alone. These are our competitors. We think that they do this great. We think they're not so great at some of these things, which is why we exist. And just so you're not guessing, here's the price. It starts at, you will pay no less than X, but typically for companies of your size and industry, I see it usually between Y and Z. So it's, it's no less than $10,000. And usually for companies of your size, they're in the range of like 30 to 45. And that's a couple different factors. And we can get into that later. So let me just stop there because I dropped a lot on you. What do you think? Yeah, I love that, dude. Brendan says, I've been on a lot of these. This might be the biggest mind-blown realization of sales. That Tylenol and Snickers analogy was much needed. Thank you. Dude, it's freaking awesome. Um, don't, don't, don't sell us and feed them in. So right? we are out of time, dude. This freaking flew by. I dro I'm dropping your LinkedIn profile again in the chat. Is there anything else you want people to do or check out or anything else that you're up to, man, that people should know about? I think uh, for now, that's pretty much it. We've, there's a Death to Fluff community on Bravado, deathtofluff.bravado.co. It's free. Just I think we're over 900 sellers in there. Just a bunch of people who get it. Um, that It's a safe place. You know, you'll never be called a whiner and complainer in that community. You never have your attitude question there. That's just, that's just sellers united together. So feel free to join that free community. Um, it's death to fluff .co. here. Let me put it in the chat. Okay. So kind of yeah, your, drop uh, that in. death to fluff .bravado .co. Dude. I love it. And you guys, my one ask is like the replay of this is going up later today. If you got value from this, which it looks like a ton of you did, I share this with one person. There's one person on your team, coworker, your boss, whoever it might be that could really value from hearing this. Please share it with them. And next week is the last week of the tour. <laughs> so make sure to tune in next week. It's the very last week. It's been like a four month like ride. And uh, Bilal, dude, thank you for your time today, man. This is super thank fun. You. And thank you everyone for showing up. I appreciate everyone. Thank you so much, Jason. It's an honor. I, I love what you're doing. And cool. the effort you put into this is incredible. Thank you. You as well, dude. All right. Later, everyone. That was a fun one. I particularly really enjoy this concept of this transparency you know, type of way of doing sales calls. And it's you know opening up and being really clear with who you're not a good fit for. And it has this weird effect of like disarming the prospect when you tell them who you're not a good fit for and you tell them that they may not be a good fit for your product or service. And it's really disarming because it doesn't feel like you're then trying to sell the person. So it has the opposite effect. And one of the things that's really important is creating some structure around that so that when you do introduce, you know, and then establish your agenda at the top of an intro call or at the top of a demo, you're consistently doing some of these things. 
And a really great way to do that is through cue cards using a tool like Wingman. And what these cue cards can do is prompt you uh, to say or talk about certain things during a call in a way that's not distracting and that the prospect can't see or hear, especially when they might bring up certain things. So if they bring up competitors or pricing or whatever it might be, you can build in these cue cards so that you're not scrambling and hitting the panic button, like I like to say, you know, during a sales call. So you can be notified immediately of what to say and be reminded of those talking points. So I find this feature personally pretty helpful when I'm coaching teams and honestly, when I'm just doing sales calls myself. So if that's something you think would be helpful, check out Wingman at trywingman.com. And I appreciate it so much for spending an hour here listening to the podcast. Hope you got a ton of value and we'll see you next time.